All right. Well, good morning, Doxa. I am the one that threatened David with not having the ability to come to my birthday party. So, I, yeah, that's awesome. I don't know where that comes from. But, uh, man, it's, it's great to see you guys. Um, if you're new or visiting, I'm one of the pastors here, guys. It's, it's great to have you part of our, our, our family gathering today. Um, we're in the midst of this, this series that we have titled Gospel Doctrine. We're actually wrapping it up next week, but we find ourselves in, in Romans chapter 8. And, and I'll say this about Romans chapter 8, guys. It's, it's this chapter in the Bible that's just packed I mean, it's just filled with incredible good news. I mean, great news. It's, it's gospel news. In fact, the, the pastor theologian, Douglas Moo, he calls Romans 8 the, the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of the Christian faith. And what he means is this, is that as you read Romans chapter 8, the apostle Paul, he, he, he lays out and kind of sets before us some of the, the most wonderful blessings that we get to enjoy as Christians. And, and as you read this, hopefully over the last couple weeks as we've been in Romans 8, you've, you've been feeling this, you've been sensing it, that Jesus gives us so much. All right, because if we recap Romans 8, we, we see that we're free from the condemnation that sin brings. Right, Romans 8.1, that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. In addition to that, guys, we're, we're indwelt by God's own spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God lives in us as Christians. Romans 8.11, we saw this, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us upon faith. We, we saw Paul laid out this idea that we're adopted into God's family, that when we come to Jesus in faith, we don't just get a savior, but we get a father. And you read places like Zephaniah 3.17 that we have a Father God who rejoices and sings over us as his kids, that he loves us. We're going to look at this idea today that we have this, we're destined for glory, that we have this hope because God's love for us is so strong and so intense and he promises to bring good to us throughout our life and after our earthly life here. Guys, I mean, this is amazing, life-changing, like eternity-altering stuff that we're being taught here in Romans 8. It's this inner sanctuary or the cathedral of the Christian faith. And so with that said, grab your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 8. Guys, if you, if you don't have a Bible and you want one, we'd love to give you one at our welcome table. You can grab one as a gift from us to you. This is kind of what we do. We just open the Bible, we read it, and ask God to empower us to, to live it out like Jesus, okay? So as you, as you turn to, to Romans 8, we're, we're going to see this idea of, of like suffering, all right? Last week, we, we ended with, with verse 17, showing us that, that one day we will, in fact, enter into the inheritance that Jesus gives us, where we're going to share in his glory for eternity. Now, here's what we all need to know. In the meantime, before that happens, we're kind of just in a place where we're, we're walking with Jesus. We're on the same road with Jesus. This is what we do as Christians. We, we seek our best to put one foot in front of the other and we just walk with, for, and like Jesus on the same road that he walked to glory. But there's something that you need to know about this road that we walk, guys. And it's this, is that this road that we walk is a road of suffering. And this is what we're gonna see in Romans 8. And I think from my vantage point, guys, the, the reality is, is that when it comes to this topic of suffering, in large part, guys, to be alive, it means that you will suffer. All right, you're going to suffer mentally and physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. And what I found is I've just walked with God and as I've led as a pastor and, and walked alongside people is that many people walk around with a really malnourished view and understanding of suffering. And when we have this malnourished understanding of suffering, when we go through pain, when we go through trials, it, it tends to lead us to, to many different questions. And we start to question God. 
And we start to question, is a life for God even worth it? Is this, is this whole thing real? Are we, uh, what, what's going on? It, it's kind of like this. Okay, several years ago, I was, before we planted Doxa, all right, I was pastoring a church in Ohio, and we were about to have like a, our big fall retreat with a bunch of college students. And in the weeks meet, leading up to this retreat, I had met a kid on campus, a, a college student. He was an international student, and I invited him to come along as we were getting to know each other. And, and he would always call me Mr. Rob. And so I invited him to come to this, this retreat, and he was like, Mr. Rob, thank you so much. This is going to be amazing. I was like, okay, you can just call me Rob. My name's not Mr. Rob, but you know, he's like, Mr. Rob, I'm sorry, I got you. I'm like, okay, you just did it again, okay? But at this retreat, okay, a bunch of guys, like if you've ever been to like a, a ministry retreat, a bunch of guys that were never college athletes, but they want to be athletes, they, they put together this big football game, and, and I was planning on, on playing, okay? And, and so I invited this kid to, to come with me and play. He had never like really even heard of football or seen a football, and so I said, hey, you can just be on my team. And for some reason, I was playing quarterback, and I, and I told him, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to throw you this ball, and you're going to catch it. And he's like, Mr. Rob, thank you so much. And I was like, do you know what to do when I throw you the ball? He's like, Mr. Rob, I have no idea. And I was like, okay, well, here, you're going to catch it, and then I just want you to run to that line as fast as you can. You're going to score. It's going to be amazing. You can dance. You're going to be a hero. And he's like, Mr. Rob, I got you. And I was like, okay. So I get there, hut, hut, hike, get the ball. I throw it to him. He catches it. All right, amazing, right? He, he did it. And then out of nowhere, all right, some gym class hero fraternity bro just comes and lights him up. I mean, it, I, it was, <laughs> I wasn't laughing because that's insensitive, right? But, but I remember two things happening, okay? In that moment, right, I, he, I, I was watching him fly through the air and I can hear all the air leave his body. He was like, right? And then he lay, he's laying there on the ground and he's like, Mr. Rob, Mr. You remember that movie, Happy Gilmore? Mista, Mista, you remember that? That was him, okay? And he was just laying there. He was like, Mr. Rob, Mr. Rob. What the heck? What the heck? Right? And he's like, I'm done. I'm out. And he walked away and never really, never really saw him again. I'm sure he's doing fine, but you know. But guys, here's, it's not mean. I'll look him up on Facebook, okay? But guys, here, here's why I tell you this story. I think this is what happens to many Christians today as we walk through life. That we catch the ball meaning we see Jesus, we say yes to Jesus, Jesus saves us, and we start walking with him. And all of a sudden, bam, we get blindsided. And we start to experience suffering and pain. And in the midst of this, guys, we, we ask questions. Like, where is God in this? Like, I, I thought that God loves me. Like, if God is for me, no one can be against me. I thought God was working all things for, for my good. Like, what is going on? Why am I suffering? And we start to ask these types of questions. What the heck? What do I even do with this? Guys, and like that kid who just quit playing the game of football because of the pain that he has experienced, people stray from God because of the pain and the suffering that they experience because, hear this, they don't know what to do with it and they don't know how to get through it. And so if you're a note taker, I'm going to encourage you to write this down. Kind of like our big idea today is this, is that the gospel, this gospel that we preach, that we love, that we celebrate, that what this church is all about and built on, the gospel gives us strength and hope in the midst of suffering and despair. That this is what the gospel does. It strengthens us. It gives us hope in the midst of our suffering, our pain, and our despair. And this is so important because pain and suffering, guys, is something that all of humanity will experience. Hope, on the other hand, is not something that everyone will experience. 
And so the question is not, will I suffer? All right, the question is, when will I suffer? How will I suffer? How bad will it hurt? How long will it last? And hear this, how will I respond to it? And, and if I'm honest, guys, for, for me, even since becoming a Christian, there have been many times in, in my life where in the face of, of suffering and pain and loss and trials, I kind of had the towel in my hand and was just tempted to throw it into the ring and just walk away. I mean, I, I really, I think about my, my journey up onto the stage this morning. All right, growing up with a dad that, that had a lot of issues like mentally and emotionally which somehow just sometimes just made my house like a terrible place to be. And then that my dad, then because of all those issues, killing himself my senior year in high school and having to deal as a, as a young man, having to deal with the baggage of all of that stuff. I, th I think about having to do some of the funerals of, of some of my best friends, watching them die, going through significant like health issues and injuries that, that almost killed me nearly ruining my life because of drugs and addiction and, and trying to kind of pick up the pieces in the aftermath of all, all that stuff, having, having such significant relational problems and issues and tensions with the people that are closest to me that I really just wanted to curl up and die. Some of the, the loneliest, darkest times of my entire life, watching my wife's family just kind of fall apart right before we got married, not having a dad and then looking to her dad to say, oh my gosh, I'm finally gonna have a dad. And then her family just falls apart, erupts into this legal thing, and the scars and the hurt that we, we carry, it's, it's tremendous. And guys, this is not a pity party for me. This is not for you to be like, oh my gosh, like, Rob has, has suffered greatly. Guys, no, this is our story. This is your story. Some of you, you've experienced significant loss in life. Some of you, you've been physically, emotionally, sexually abused. Some of you, you're lonely, you struggle with depression and anxiety. Some of you, you suffer from chronic illness, you, you have a disease that's threatening your life, and the list can go on, but I want you to hear this, guys. All of this, all of this stuff is what God wants to talk to us about today. How? How do we journey through life in the face of suffering? What does the gospel of Jesus have to say about all of this? Romans chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 18. And here's what the Apostle Paul says. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For, hopes, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for his good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. 
And those he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Now, before we dig into this, guys, there's a few big picture things that we just need to see in this passage. First off, you'll see that there is clearly a problem. All right, did you notice kind of some of the, the strong, unpleasant language that, that Paul uses here? All right, we, we see words like, like bondage, suffering, futility, pain, decay. Paul is, is laying out this idea that this is the state of the world that we live in, that we're all experiencing this, this, this brokenness on some level. And some of you, you haven't suffered a whole lot. And if you haven't suffered, it's because you haven't been alive long enough. All right, it really is. And some of you, as you go through life, you're not going to suffer all that much, that God's grace is going to be great in your life, and you really just need to thank him for that. Others of you, you're going to kind of wake up every morning and just take it on the chin day after day after day. Because Paul is saying, guys, everything is broken. Creation in general, and humanity specifically, that when you look at creation, creation is broken. It's not the way that it's supposed to be. It destroys itself and it hurts us. And you look at humanity, because take God out of the picture, humanity is for sure broken. You look at the news and all the things that are going on in this world and we're not operating the way that we should. We're, we're hurting each other and we're killing creation. And so the problem that Paul is presenting to us is that everything is broken and everything and everyone is suffering and we all experience this. Now the second thing for us to see is that in the midst of this problem, guys, there's hope for a solution. And when we consider this idea of hope, guys, hope is just this strong desire for a specific thing to happen in the future. All right, in the midst of the brokenness for our entire created world, there's also simultaneously redemptive hope for the entire created world, that something can change. But the very nature of hope, it, it means that it's something that we can't quite see. It's something that we, we can't touch. It's not something that we can't fully experience right now. And this is what Paul is going to reinforce to us today. And so this is the big picture of what's going on. But here's the thing, guys, when we read the Bible, we have to ask questions. We don't just throw the Bible and we don't just throw verses at people that are going through hard things. That's not helpful. We ask questions. We say, so what? Like, what does this all mean for me? How does this impact my life as I walk through and navigate the sufferings and the trials of life and the people around me? How is this good news? And this is what I want to do. I just want to give you what Paul gives us in order to give us hope as we suffer towards heaven. And the first thing is this, if you want to write this down, God promises a future glory. Verse 18, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing, and I want you to underline this next part in your Bible, the glory that is to be revealed to us. Circle that. For the creation awaits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and attain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Now, because when, when Paul says glory, John Piper says it great. He, he takes this to mean an overwhelming, all-satisfying beauty and greatness. And when Paul says glory being revealed to us, this simply means that, that we will see it. And, and I want you to think about this, okay? Think about seeing beauty and greatness, all right, seeing beauty and greatness is really one of the obsessive desires and deep longings of every human heart. 
And it was built into us by God, that we all get pleasure from seeing beauty and greatness. Some of you, you like to go to nature. You sit at the, the dock of a lake. You go to the mountains. You, you go to the ocean, and you just look, and you're seeing beauty and greatness. Others of you, you go to, to movies and art galleries, and, and we see this. And when we see beauty and greatness, guys, it's a huge part of the joy that we all experience in life. And here's what you need to know. Guys, all of those things that we see as beautiful and great, they're, they're just images. They're, they're reflections. They're pointers to a far greater beauty, to a far greater greatness that is coming in the future. They all point us to the glory of God. And when we finally see God in his glory, this will be the end of our quest for searching for beauty and greatness. I mean, this is why Jesus prayed what he did in John 17, 24. Did you know that Jesus prayed for you? I love this. I, listen to this, okay? It's gonna come up here on the screen. This is Jesus talking to the Father for you. And here's what he prayed. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to what? To see my glory. Every time I, I read this and remember, I'm, I'm just taken back that this is like the greatest thing that Jesus could pray for us on our behalf. It's like the climax of his prayer that we would see, experience, and receive this glory after we have walked through life on the road of suffering. And guys, if I, could, if I could simplify this, I'd put it like this. I think Paul is saying there's a light at the end of the tunnel. This is what he's saying. He's shown us this issue of perspective that yields hope. And let me just kind of back out of this for just a second, okay? Because there's times when the Apostle Paul, if you've been through this Roman series with us, there's, there's times where Paul speaks very prophetically, right? That he's kind of like in your face, he's calling out your sin, and he's just hammering something. But there's something different happening here in Romans 8. Paul is, is being very pastoral. He's talking to people who are suffering. He's talking to people who are in pain and they're literally dying. And as a good pastor, he's coming alongside these people. He's coming alongside you and me today. And he's saying, guys, look, I know that life sucks sometimes. I know it's hard. I know you're going through it, but you can make it. That there is a future glory coming. He's trying to teach us to have an eternal perspective because guys, without an eternal perspective, life can just be very heavy. It can be very depressing and honestly, it can be very hopeless. But he's saying, yes, we live in a broken world. Yes, we live in a world filled with sin and we suffer, but just keep walking forward with Jesus because God is gonna fix all that is wrong. And while we wait, we wait for this, this hope. We have this hope of waiting for this future glory, and it keeps us going. I love what the Apostle John does in Revelation 7. He reinforces this perspective. Look at this. And let God give you the right perspective as you hear this today. He says that there's going to come a day where they will no longer hunger. They will no longer thirst. The sun will no longer strike them, nor will any scorching heat. He gives us this picture that one day, guys, all of our longings, all of our cravings, all of our desires, the things that are unmet in your life right now, one day Jesus is going to fulfill all of that, and it's going to be perfect. And he says, look, for the Lamb of God, who is at the center of the throne, will shepherd them, that we're going to be back in perfect relationship, perfect harmony with God. He will guide them to springs of water of life. And listen to this. Someone in here needs to hear this that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Paul is saying it's coming. And when we have this perspective, guys, this gives us hope 
to keep going. He's saying, you're gonna go through hell in this life. You're gonna suffer, but don't let it take you out of the game because glory is coming. It's hope. Let me put it like this, okay? So I played football at Bowling Green State University. Had a, one of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the, the nation at the time, Aaron Hillman. He's at Iowa State right now. And amazing coach, great guy, a little bit crazy, okay? I mean, so it was uh, February 13th of like my sophomore year. We get a call late one night. Hey, there's a team lift, 5 a.m. on Valentine's Day. Be there. I was like, okay. So I'm there. I'm standing out in front of the, the weight room doors, and the doors open right at 5 a.m., and I walk in, and Conan the Barbarian soundtrack is blaring. And that wasn't the weird part. That was pretty normative, okay? But then I kind of turn the corner, and there's like fake blood smeared on the walls. And I'm like, oh, okay. That's, that's interesting. And I look up to the whiteboard, and it says, Welcome to the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. And Hillman is standing there dressed as the Grim Reaper, and he just holds up his arms. And he's like, get ready to die. And I'm like, what is wrong with this man? Like, he's got kids. I mean, there's got to be a phone number I can call, right? There's something going on. And I remember, guys, it was like probably some of the worst couple hours of my entire life. Like, I was, I was partnered with two guys. One guy was so tired and beat up that he puked all over himself and all over me. The other guy lost controls of his bowels, and you can imagine how that went, right? And in the midst of this, both these guys were so afraid to stop and ask if they could go to the bathroom that they just kept lifting, okay? And I remember at one point, I'm like laying on the ground. I think I'm doing like a, a plank or something, and I'm just looking, and I knew this was going to end at 7 a.m. And I see the clock in the background, and it was just ticking. I'm like, okay, I got five more minutes. I'm just laying there. I'm like, I'm watching it tick, 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 tick. And I'm like, I can do this. It's almost over. It's almost over. Guys, this is kind of what Paul is doing. Hope keeps us going. That it's not going to be like that forever. And guys, when hope is lost, many times so is everything. But God promises a future of glory that overflows in our lives as hope. And that Jesus is coming in glory and he's going to fix everything. And Paul's saying, don't give up. Keep moving forward. The second thing is this. God promises our pain will give way to life. Verse 22. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes what he, has, what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Guys, God promises that the miseries and the pains of the world are not the throes of death, but the labor pains of childbirth. Consider this. Because if you're in a hospital and you're hearing a woman across the hall screaming out in pain, how you feel in that moment is completely dependent if you know you're in the maternity ward or the oncology unit. Why? Because all pain is pain, right? No, absolutely not. Some pain leads to life, some pain leads to death. And what verse 22 is pointing us to, look back, is that for the children of God, all pain leads to life. Another way to put it is that all the groanings and the sufferings of this world are birth pains of the kingdom of God, which is coming. That if you're part of the kingdom of God, that, that if you're a child of the king through faith in Jesus, all your sufferings are labor pains and they're not death spasms. That life is coming. You know, when Lisa was, was pregnant with our kids, guys, she was so uncomfortable. 
All right, I know some women, some of you, you love being pregnant. Like you just feel like incredibly beautiful and like, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, like I've never felt so beautiful in my life and I'm glowing, right? And, and you love it. Guys, that was not my wife, okay? She would be the first one to tell you if you talk to her, she would just lay there on the couch after work and be like, oh my gosh, I feel like a cement truck, right? And just like, you know, you'd walk behind her and like you wouldn't even know she's pregnant and she turned sideways and it was like, Whoa, right? And she was just like huge, like an offensive lineman, beautiful offensive lineman, but it's like massive, right? But I, but I remember, guys, the labor process and the pain that she experienced as she contracted and she pushed, I mean, it was just intense. It was crazy. It was awful. There was blood, there was sweat, there was tears. You know, I really don't trust guys that are like, you know what, that was the most beautiful thing I have ever seen. No, no that was a miracle, but it was not beautiful, okay? Like, you might be, you know, but it was not beautiful. Miracle, for sure. It was terrible, guys. But then all of a sudden, all of that ended. Because as soon as our baby came out, she forgot about all the anguish that she had been living through and she was filled with joy at the life that had come. This is the picture that Paul is painting to help us view our suffering correctly. It's about hope and the anticipation of God's plan to come. And when Paul says, if you look back, that we groan with creation, he's saying that we all, whether we would articulate it like this or not, we intensely long for a new and better world where we're released from pain and suffering, that we all want that. And Paul wants us to know that this is actually God's plan and he promises to bring that to fruition just as he brings beautiful life through horrific labor pains. And while we wait for God's plan to come to completion, guys, it's difficult. We experience pain and suffering and it takes patience, but here it is, it's absolutely worth it. Because we, we exist in this already not yet reality that yes, we are children of God through faith in Jesus right now. Yes, we experience his love and his presence and his forgiveness right now. But we are not yet God's children in the, one, the, day, the, the way that we one day will be. And here's what I mean by that, okay? That, that there's more to our life with Jesus than what we are currently experiencing. And Paul says that all of creation is eagerly waiting and hoping for that final glory. And he wants us to know that God promises our pain ends with his purpose, and his purpose is for us to experience perfect life. This is what the gospel does. So the gospel promises, God promises a, a, a future of glory, life out of pain. And number three, God promises the power to push through our pain and our suffering. Verse 26, take a look. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Because here's what you need to know. In the same way that hope gives us fortitude, the Holy Spirit gives us help in our distress. Guys, if you've suffered, one of, my, one of my best friends right now is just going through it. And I'm walking with him through it this week. But when you suffer, you get to that point where it's just like, I don't know what else I can do. I don't know what else to say. I don't know how I'm gonna get through this. But God is such a good father that he helps us by the prayers and the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit that he gives us. And I'll explain this by, by telling you a story of, of one of my best friends. There's a picture gonna come up. This is my friend, Aaron. Okay, Aaron and I became great friends in, in college and we lived together for a while and 
totally opposite people, all right? He was just a strange kid, but the gospel brought us together, right? And somehow we became good friends, even then we loved each other, trusted each other, but, but he was like simultaneously like scared to death of me. And so we'd be walking around campus and I just used to mess with him and I'd be like, oh, and he'd be like, oh my gosh, and like crawl into a fetal position. I'd be like, what are you doing? Do you really think I'm gonna hurt you? And he's like, you're scary, right, okay? But like we, we got married right around the same time and him and Allie got married a, a couple months before Lisa and I and, and I remember it was my birthday and Lisa and I were, were going out for my birthday dinner and Allie called me and, um, and she told me, she's like, you know, Aaron's been having headaches and, and I was like, yeah, I know that, that sucks. And, and she's like, well, we're at the hospital right now and he's getting ready to be admitted into surgery. I was like, oh my gosh, like what is going on? And she's like, he's, he's got a brain tumor and they need to get in right away. And I remember even in the midst of that, going to the hospital, we were like, okay, God's got this, and it's going to be fine. And we were praying, and he went into surgery, came out, the doctor met with all of us, and was just like, there's really nothing we can do. The type of tumor it is, it's, it's cancerous, it's wrapped around the brainstem, and we can't do anything. And so even then, we were kind of like, you know what, we're just going to pray. And we're going to pray and just ask God to do a miracle. And he would go back for a test, and they were like, nothing's changed. It's actually progressing and, and getting worse. And I remember the time him and his wife were sitting in Lisa and I's apartment, and, and just like the utter like hopelessness. I can remember them sitting on the couch and just looking at Aaron. I'm like, I don't know what else to, to do. And in the moment, I'm like, okay, well, the Bible says to anoint with oil. So we got out the kitchen oil and started dumping it on his head. And she's like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do with this, but this is what it says to do. And I'm calling the elders. It says to call the elders and get them to pray. So we're calling the elders. And I had a guy that was mentoring me. who was a Pentecostal pastor, and he used to read, lead like healing revivals. I'm like, okay, can you come over here with some of the stuff that you do and just heal? Nothing was happening. And I remember when he left, guys, it was just like hopeless. But then something happened in Aaron's life. And guys, I can't explain it except for what Paul is pointing to right here. That something supernatural happened and God kicked in and gave Aaron this perspective and this peace and this power to keep going as he marched towards his death. And he blogged the whole way. And I, guys, everybody around the city that knew Aaron could see this. And everybody's like, I don't know what just happened here, but something is going on. And I remember sitting with him as he died and he couldn't talk and he couldn't, we were just making eye contact and I could see the peace. And even as he died at his funeral, people came to Jesus and said yes to Jesus because they had no other explanation of what happened in this kid's life except for God doing something miraculous. This is what Paul is talking about. And what this means, guys, is that even if you're down with the Holy Spirit, you're never out. You're never out. Finally, number four, God promises good despite bad. Verse 28, we know that all things work together for good, for the good of those who love God. And we know that for those who love God, all things, wait, where do we go? Okay, who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. So two things 
about this. One, if you have a grandmother who's a Christian, chances are she has a plaque or a doily with this embroidered Romans 8.28 on it, all right? It's one of those verses that you get at the Christian bookstore that makes you feel good. And, I, and honestly, it should. When we understand this, it honestly should. But the second thing is that some of you just saw like a hot button word there and you, it's messing with you. And you're like, predestined. Oh, come on. oh my gosh, what is he gonna say? What do we believe about this? Guys, here's what Paul is doing. Paul is being a pastor. He isn't writing a theological treatise, but rather he's reinforcing the truth that if you are a Christian, that God chose you, that Jesus saved you, that the God who chose you to be his kid, who saved you through his son, is for you by his spirit. And so Paul is saying, know that and let it keep you going. He's saying, as you walk through life on the road of suffering, the most important thing that I can tell you is always, he says this, always remember and look to Jesus because he promises goodness in your future. And so guys, here it is. Paul's overarching point is that the gospel of Jesus, this gospel doctrine that he's laying out for us, gives us strength and hope in the midst of suffering and despair. And with this truth, guys, the gospel is not just good news, but it's empowering news. It's the best news of all. Because your suffering and your pain is not the end. That glory is coming, life is coming, and we can hold on to that truth, and it brings us hope. So I have to say this. Because all of this, this gospel doctrine, this good news, I mean, who wouldn't want this? It's like, okay, yeah, that's great. I'll sign me up for that. You need to know, guys, just, just to be honest, that this is not for everybody, but only if you are in Christ. That all of this good news is only good news for you if you are in Jesus, meaning you've said yes to Jesus, you've come to Jesus, you've put your faith in Jesus, however you want to word it. If Jesus is your king, this is in fact great news for you. If not, because you just need to lovingly, not in an angry way, hopefully you hear my heart, like you just need to be lovingly confronted with the reality that there is no glory waiting for you. There is no redemptive life ahead of you and there's no strength available to you. There's only death. That's it. But some of the word, two greatest words in the Bible, but God. But God has brought you here to hear about Jesus, to hear about hope, to hear about love, to hear about assurance and salvation. And he's brought you here to show you something of himself and show you something of yourself that you need him. And he's basically saying to you guys right now that suffering and death, while it's a reality in front of you right now, it doesn't have to be your eternal reality because Jesus suffered and died so you didn't have to do that for eternity. This is what he gives you through faith. And I pray that if you're here and you've been around the church and, and you're kind of wrapped up and swept up in church life and religious life and all this stuff, that you'd be swept up in this gospel doctrine and you would say yes to Jesus so that you can celebrate this is what it's all about. And I'll end with this, guys. If you look back at this passage, Paul like bookends this passage with glory. He starts with glory, he ends with glory. And for Paul, we can never lose sight of the glory of God, that we need to constantly be looking to Jesus, the Lord of glory, or we're gonna flounder and suffer poorly throughout life. I think of Hebrews chapter 12 where the author says, fix your eyes on Jesus, focus on Jesus. Guys, it's all about Jesus, it's always about Jesus. In fact, we're gonna take communion. 
You know, we're going we're gonna to sing some songs in response to this great news. We're going to take communion. I think one of the reasons why Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper and told us to take communion was to help us do this, to fix our eyes. I want to read to you what Jesus himself says in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Verse 23, it says, the, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus is saying, when we do this, guys, when we take communion, it's an opportunity for us to fix our eyes on Jesus. That we look three ways when we take communion. We look backwards, we look inwards, and we look forwards. That we look backwards and we remember what Jesus has done. That he suffered and died so we don't have to. We look inward and say, okay, what in my life is not lining up? And we confess that and we bring it to Jesus and just ask him, help me to live like you. And then we look forward to this future glory and say, I know that it's coming. And we have hope and celebrate because it's coming. And we grab hold of that and we take the bread and we dip it in the juice and we remind ourselves that it's all about Jesus and we just thank him and we sing and we celebrate. This is communion and this is what we're gonna do. Guys, it's, he gives us the perspective that we need to navigate through life and walk the road of suffering. So I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna have the band come up here and we're just gonna do what Jesus said. We're gonna take communion together, we're gonna sing and we're gonna celebrate because he is king and he is one and he has empowered us to have hope in a future. Let's pray. God, thanks for, for your word. God, I, I thank you for men in my life like, uh, like Aaron and and Jesse, and just how I see you moving in their life and how they glorify you in the midst of trials and, and suffering. And God, I, I confess that even as I, I preach this, like going through suffering and trials and loss is hard, and I hate it. But I trust you, and I know that you're good, and I know that you're there, and I know that all that we just heard is actually true. And so it gives me hope. And so, Holy Spirit, you know where every single one of us are at. God, would you just speak to us? As we celebrate, as we take communion and look to you, Jesus, would you just enforce the truth that we're loved, that you're with us, that you're for us, that you're in us, and that we have a future to cling to? Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to invite you guys to, to stand.